Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 121 with my friend, Daniel Garza. Uh, Daniel is a, one of the sober curator contributors and has a great story. I, we're going to do a part two, I think. We were limited for time, a little bit of a shorter episode than you might be used to. Also, I got to apologize. I don't know if anybody notices or cares, but I... Uh, I've been messing with different audio options for these Zoom interviews, and, you know, some are going better than others, so if the audio is an issue at all, I apologize. But, uh, great story, I think you're going to love listening to Daniel, and I'm not going to hold you back any longer. So, episode 121, without any further ado, here's my friend, Daniel. You and I have lots in common. And do you do you prefer Daniel or Dan or? Uh, yes, it, it's it's across <laughs> the board. Uh, it just depends on the setting. <laughs> but um, Daniel's fine. Okay, I will. I will. Probably not say your name the rest of this recording. <laughs> um, I was like, wait, is that even going to come up? Uh, I usually start with how I know people, and I know you because we both are contributors to The Sober Curator. That's essentially all, all I know about you outside of, like, you know, the content you produce there and some of your YouTube stuff. Like I've seen some of your interviews and everything. So um, let's rewind and go back in time. <laughs> And, and you're born and we have to, uh, sorry, we have to address you're in Laguna beach, right? Correct. Yeah. Which is the greatest place in the world. Um, Duh. I, I have a love hate relationship with anyone that's there. Um, cause I love it there and I hate you for being there and I'm not cause it's so, it's just the best place. I, I absolutely love it. Um, but I, I digress. So <laughs> are you, where are you born? So I was born, well, first let me say, anytime you are welcome, come to Laguna. Yep, there's a couch with your name on it, so oh, anytime you want to come. I might take you up on that. Uh, and so I was born in Monterrey, Mexico. Okay. Uh, picture it, December 26th. Uh, Day after Christmas. So, yeah, so my birthday's coming up. Meant, uh, throw that in there. Uh, born in Monterrey, Mexico in 1970, I was about three years old when we moved to the States. Okay. Uh, we, the first place that I lived was in Dallas in the States. Um, I, other than that, I remember a lot about those times for some reason. Yeah. Uh, lived in Dallas till I was about 24. Uh, broke up with my then boyfriend. I was heartbroken and left the city. <laughs> Went down to South Texas, lived there for a while. Lived in Houston for a long time. Uh, Houston's actually where I, I got sober. And then ended up in Laguna Beach 13 years ago. Uh, nice. One January 29 of 2009. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> yes. Moved, moved with my then boyfriend. We moved there in January. We separated in March and we broke up in June. And he went back. So there, the, 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 that's the sad story of it. But... I've been there 13 years now, and I—I I mean, yeah. Anybody who's been to Laguna, you gotta love Laguna. Yeah, my uh, girlfriend at the time, back in like 2003, 
took me out there like it was the first vacation I went on with uh, like a girlfriend's family and they had a timeshare in Laguna Beach and this was before that stupid TV show and everything and you could where you could still walk out on the reef and it wasn't closed um, and I I was just like what is this magical magical place uh, with like perfect beaches and starfish and uh, this adorable downtown with these little cafe like it was just perfect and uh, I thought when I revisited I took my wife there like three oh god COVID I don't know probably five years ago now um, and I was so surprised to see how much hadn't changed like obviously a lot has but it's still like I thought the TV show would have ruined it <laughs> um, just like you know driven tourism to the point where it screwed everything up and I was bummed out that people screwed up the the reefs enough to where like the conservation people there are there like to make sure you're not walking because we used to go out there and like you could walk almost like not all the way out to like seal rock or anything but you could you could get really far out there when the tide was low and just like observe nature in the most purest form and, and now they're like no don't come out here <laughs> everyone everyone fuck this up for everybody else so yeah stay away i really after 13 years i give credit to the local government and our city council and yeah. the way that they work and, and making sure that that hometown small town feel exists. Um, we just had recently our hospitality night, which is where we shut downtown. Um, all the vendors are out there. Everybody who's local is selling their stuff or showcasing their stuff. And Santa Claus comes to town. And, but it is so picturesque. It's, it's the, I mean, it's a Hallmark movie in yeah. real life. And, oh, yeah. and it's beautiful. And, and there's a reason why I've been there 13 years. And and have no plans on moving out. And by the way, for anybody listening, it's Laguna Beach, not Laguna Hills or Laguna Woods. We're Laguna Beach, the, the authentic Laguna Beach. That's right. Um, but I want to I want to jump back to, to 1970, if you will. Do you have any siblings? Yes. So I am the baby of two older sisters. Okay. Uh, my oldest is 21 years older than me. Oh wow. The middle sister is nine years older than me, and then me, the baby, and. My parents were in their 40s when they had me, so okay. I, was, I don't know if I was a surprise, but I get from the stories I hear, I think I was not expected. So, <laughs> yeah, 21 me. 9, and, and, and I mean, that's I don't know, were any of them expected? <laughs> that's, I, right? That's kind of like, did they really want children, or was it just there was nothing good on TV that night and something just happened to happen? Uh, but I'm the baby, I'm an uncle, I have nine nephews and nieces wow. and about uh, six or seven great nephews and nieces. And I have a great, great one that's there yeah. from, a, from a niece. So yeah, we're not a huge family, but we're a pretty decent sized Mexican family. So anybody has a reference on Mexican families. <laughs> well, I, I mean, that was actually, I mean, if we're, we're talking in, in stereotypes and stuff, right? Like you just said, you had two sisters and, and that was it. And you were born in Mexico. And that seems like that it seems small. Uh, I mean, that seems yeah. like a modern American family, which are typically smaller anyway. Um, so I, I wonder also culturally, you, you mentioned so many things that like, <laughs> we could make this five hours. Um, but first of all, I, I'm wondering, do you remember anything about immigrating to the U S and like, do, could you wrap your head around what kind of a deal that was at the time? 
early, early. I know we moved here and we lived in another house before the house that I kind of I grew up in. And we lived there till I was like eighteen. Uh, I just remember that house. I remember that we had a garage in the back. Okay. We had a standalone garage. We had a big backyard that had sand, and I was, was I was a big Tonka truck kid, <laughs> uh, and my sister and I shared a room. Um, my it was a one bedroom with a little nook thing kind of. My parents always slept in the living room, and we were always in the bedroom in the back. Um, there's just little things that I remember. Like I remember my sister always playing this big, huge radio, which I think still exists at my parents' ranch, which this radio now is over 50 years old. Remember this radio? Um, That's funny. I remember our, our black and white TV with the antennas. Yeah. I remember the first time we got a, a color TV ooh, with the remote control that I wasn't allowed to touch. It's like, ooh. But then I was the only one that knew how to work it, so I had to play with it. <laughs> um, but some of the early, early things that I remember is babysitters, because my parents both, when we moved to the States, my mom went to work. Yeah. And I just remember waking up in the mornings for my parents to drop me off at the babysitter. And this is in Dallas. There was a radio station called KESS. And it was a Spanish station. It was the most famous one. And they had a radio show in the morning that was called Chile, Tomate y Cebolla. Uh, Chile's Tomatoes and Onions. And that was the radio. That's the name of the show. That's how Mexican yeah. that show was. And I just remember waking up early in the morning and, and, and going to the babysitter and they going to work and listen to all these songs that I grew up listening to. And I think, um, kind of connecting the stories, I think that's where my love of working came from, is I've always had this vision of my parents working. Yeah. And I became a workaholic because of, the, of that. Well, not necessarily, but uh, <laughs> well, does that make sense? I don't know. What's that look like growing up then? What kind of relationship do you have with your parents? Um, my mom was not a very cuddly, loving person. Yeah. She she did stuff to show you she loved you, yeah. that she cared about you. But um, my mom was one of my biggest allies growing up. She really did like, cover a lot for me and make sure that I got everything. But my mom had a, a first grade education, and my dad only did up to sixth grade, and kind of choppy. Yeah. Uh, for that time, I, my grandfather was a dairy farmer. So my on days that was really busy, my dad had to stay home from school to help. And in fact, my parents, I think the story is that they met because my mom was a maid in a house and my dad was the milkman. So I'm actually the son of a milkman. There you go, put that story out there. And um, so they worked. I, I was raised by babysitters up yeah. until I was in the fourth grade. Um, What's the term? Latchkey kid? Oh, yeah. I would come home after fourth grade. I would come home, do my homework, make a snack, watch TV. I grew up on, on spreadables for anybody who's th that age. They don't make them anymore, but the spreadables. Come home, make a spreadable, watch cartoons and yeah. do my homework. Um, I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, when I was um, about, I think I was about eight years old, eight or nine. There's a lot of history of um, bullying and yeah. um, abuse from other people in my neighborhood, and I got it. it was a, it was a, I was it was rough being a kid for me. Yeah. Uh, 
but I always managed to make the best of it. So when I was in the fourth grade, I decided I didn't want babysitters anymore because the babysitter that I had, the, their kids were the bullies and one of them was the one that would molest me. And so I was like, it was one of those, not to get all psychological, but no, one of those like, the, what the, the, show only does. Friends, <laughs> the only friends I had were the, were, were the kids that bullied me and the kid that molested me. So at fourth, in fourth grade, I decided I don't want a babysitter. I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm told I don't need a babysitter. So it was coming home to that. So my parents would get home from work and it was like, we're tired, we're gonna take a nap. And so I learned to be very resilient and independent and resourceful, yeah. very young, um, which has its balances. Cause you, you, you kind of ask like, how did that, um, you, you grow up not needing a relationship but you were, you grow up being needy of a relationship. If yeah. that makes sense, like, well, like I want to be in. A, go ahead. Well, I'm I'm just curious, like, break some of that down first. Where's the middle sister at during this time? Oh, um, so she, so I, she's nine years older than me. So by the time I'm ten, she's nineteen, and she married young. Okay. Um, so she, yeah. So she's gone. And, She's gone. Yeah, yeah. I'm just so thinking, I like, when you were saying babysitters, I was like, don't you have older sisters that can look at <laughs> Well, she, um, as, as, as younger, um, so yeah, I was 10 years old when she got married and, and left the house, and I was like, okay, I'm on my own. Yeah. Um, and, like, how do you, before then, we were both at the babysitter, so we okay. would both get dropped off. She was in junior high, and she got to come home late from school, and by the time that, or she would pick me up at yeah. the babysitters after school. But yeah, there was always a lot of babysitters. I had a lot of babysitters. Um, was the the kid the kid that molested you? Was he the same age or was he older? Or? He was a little older. He was a couple years older, and um, yeah. Um, so the kids that you kind of look up to in, in your neighborhood, you know, we all had those. Yeah, no, I mean, I was so I was uh, sexually abused, just like a single incident, thankfully. But when I was eleven, and that was just a kid that was like a year or two older. And so, you know, at that age, a year or two is like, whoa, <laughs> like you're, you know, um, like they obviously know what's cooler more than I do and everything. Cause they're just like, they're the older kid. Um, so that's, that's why I, I ask about that. Cause I, I know the effect that an incident like that can have to some degree. Um, so I was just curious cause I think that's, especially with men, you know, that's not talked about a lot there's there's a huge right. stigma there and um you know like you're gay so there might be i don't know you might have had some more comfort in that or not i don't know but yeah i'm, I'm glad you asked because yeah you're right there's a lot of things that we don't talk about so knowing from very young even before then knowing from where i was very really young i didn't know the term gay yeah or homosexual but i knew that i was attracted to guys more than I didn't have brothers, so more than the brotherly connection yeah, with yeah. men or guy, or boys, there was like a, well, he's, I, I don't know why I'm attracted to this person in more than one way. And, but of course, when you're little, there's always like, oh, he doesn't have any brothers, he's attaching to somebody. And I was like, yes, and. <laughs> yeah, and I imagine 1970s Southern Texas didn't have a lot of words for those feelings. No, there, there was not. And, and, and mind you, I, um, I, I tell the story, one of my chores on the weekends was uh, to help my mom clean the house. And um, Saturdays, if I did all my chores, I got money for the week. 
yeah. my aunt. And I remember finding porn under the mattress when I was making the beds. And for people that don't know, Mexican porn, not that it's different, but there used to be these um, like story, like comics, they would take screenshots of movies and put little bubbles on them and people were having sex. So there was a dude and a girl. So okay. as a little gay boy, looking at that and not knowing where all these feelings are coming from, and looking at the magazine going, oh, there's a woman with a guy. I find the guy attractive, so I must be a girl? Like, what, what's going on here? Like, not that I w ever wanted to be a girl. Yeah. Respect to school, but... But you're, you're living in a world where there's just black and white, and so you have to pick. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And literally, the pictures in the, in the magazine were black and white, yeah. so yes. <laughs> so then... So then I'm hanging out with these boys and they, they figure out that there's something different about me. He's a little gay boy, a little sissy. And the games start like, like, like you know, there's a, I remember there, there was a garage and there was this closet that had spiders and everything. So let's go hide in the closet. And then there was some touching and some feeling. And as a little gay boy, you think, oh, because you don't have brothers. And you know, I'm like, yeah. This is how, is this how guys bond? Like, okay, cool. So this is how it's supposed to be, which really messes with, it took years for this to go away, by the way. I, I for years thought that guys, in order to be friends, there was sex involved. Like, I never really had straight friends. Yeah. And the friends, the people that I was connected to guys, there was usually some kind of sexual activity involved. But for years, even as an adult, I was like, yeah, I mean, it's perfectly logical for two dudes to mess around and connect. That's how you become friends. Like what, and to therapy, they were like, no, <laughs> like you don't have to blow your best friend to yeah. connect. Like that's not how that works. But I really, really thought, and it took, I mean, I'm 51 years. Now it took years to realize that I could have straight friends and that there was no sex involved. Yeah. That I could have other gay friends that I didn't date, that were just friends. But that, uh, in therapy, I learned that that came from those first encounters as a young kid. Yeah. Thinking, in order for Justin and I to be friends, whether you're straight or gay, there'll be a moment where we'll have a, an encounter. Yeah, like it's a requirement. And it's, it's yeah. funny, like, the, uh, just to piggyback on this too, because... I just wrote about this and how so many people I talk to refer to their childhood as normal and we never unpack that. Right. Cause it's just like, it's the normal we know. So we just assume that that's the way everybody else does stuff until we find out it's not right. And that could be something as simple as the example I use is like whether or not your household puts peanut butter in the fridge or the cupboard. Right. And, and you're just like, Oh, that's just like, that's where the peanut butter goes. And then you go to someone's house and you're like, Oh shit, that's not where the peanut butter goes. And so, there's so many things we don't talk about, especially involving like sex, right? <laughs> and, and, and experimentation and stuff that that idea of normal is baked in for most of your life until, until you find out otherwise, or you're talking to somebody that's like willing to be vulnerable enough with you to like, be like, Oh no, that's not like, that's not how that's supposed to go. So I think this is like just a perfect example of like you thought, that was that was normal like if men are friends with men at some point they probably did something together yep. and as i became a teenager because I, I 
after all that, when about to, about to go into junior high, the the summer before sixth grade, yeah, in Dallas, uh, that same boy said to me, "So are you going to be sucking when you go into junior high?" And it scared me. I was like, "Oh, like I'm kind of trapped in this little bubble." Yeah. So you're going to continue to harass me and and bully me and then want a, some sexual activity like so i watched enough after school specials to know like you need to remove yourself from the situation so i went back to mexico i did junior high and high school in mexico oh wow and i went to, i went to live with my sister that's still in mexico and the funny thing is that in mexico everything that i did that was kind of gay was was considered eccentric they were like oh he's from he's from dallas he's from the states and they're like oh okay he's just a well, crazy american kid yeah <laughs> yeah oh americano loco and and i had the most awesome teenage years living in mexico but there were adults there were adult men in the neighborhood that knew i was different and then by then I knew that I was gay, uh, who took advantage of that. And But again, growing up thinking, oh, this is bonding. This And, and having a, a broken relationship with my dad, total big time daddy issues. There are these men that say, hey, like, come hang out with me. And yeah. And as a horny teenager, I told my therapist, well, my old therapist, I was like, here I am, a horny little teenager, just starting to get into my own body and there's this man who says hey i'll play with you like so obviously so i was molested pretty much through my whole up until my teens like late teens yeah and didn't but didn't know that that's what it was yeah and and then fuck if that doesn't cause mental and like when people ask me it's like well how why alcohol and drugs i'm like <laughs> It was written. It was written on the wall. Yeah, I was. I mean, they were like Daniel Garza. Oh yeah, right this way. We have a we have yeah. a table for you. Yeah, I don't think you have an upbringing like that without turning to substances of some sort at some point, uh, and usually pretty early. Do you like the movie Madagascar? Do you like the flavor vanilla? Then have I got a treat for you. Wellbeing Brewing just came out with a Madagascar Vanilla Cream Ale. You guys, it's freaking delicious. It's vanilla-y and it's creamy. Yes, self-explanatory. <laughs> uh, it really is tasty. I highly recommend it. Check it out. You can save 10% on your order at wellbeingbrewing.com slash friendrequest or just use code friendrequest at checkout and save yourself 10%. Wellbeing Brewing. Where non-alcoholic beer happens, they don't have a they don't have a phrase. I'm trying to come up with. I'm I'm, sh I'm workshopping some stuff. Raise well-being. Well-being. Well, why not? Okay, I'm done. Back to the episode. So I mean, is that the next kind of step on that trajectory? Like, what is what is your relationship with with alcohol look like? So I remember, and I'm putting this in my book because I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of writing my memoir. It's, I've been in the process for the last seven years, so who knows when that would happen. Um, but the first chapter that I tackled was that alcohol and because I was coming up until my I was coming up on my 15th um, birthday. And I was like, what would be the first story you want to tell? And 
So my very first drinking, like the first time that I drank with the purpose, yeah, was when I was about ten years old. Oh, okay. And I think it was after I started not needing a babysitter. Then my parents were like, "Well, you can stay home alone now." So everybody was going out for the night for some reason, and uh, I remember pizza being ordered, and I my parents leaving. And at that, and just for references, we had a disc player, one of those big disc players yeah. that you would flip around, play the movies. Oh, like a laser and, disc, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, a laser yes. disc, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we had American Werewolf in London, which I loved. I used to love that movie, and uh, especially because he would get hairy and naked. So that was the turn on for me as a little boy. I was like, Ooh, and I, I think that's the year I learned how to make. I, I think that's when the I learned how to make Kool Aid on my own. I know for some people, I was like, what? But yes, we made Kool Aid in my house. And everybody laughed, and there was the liquor. We didn't have a liquor cabinet. They just had a little table with a bunch of liquor bottles. Yeah. And to this day, I don't remember. It was probably rum, because that's what my, my mom and my dad used to drink. Anyway, they left, and I decided to have my pizza and mix some liquor in my Kool-Aid. And uh, it was a very festive night, and it was... <laughs> Uh, Dukes of Hazards and Love Boat Night. So I was like, in my head, and the logic that I think back to is, I was being bullied and and didn't feel happy, and I knew the adults drank to get happy, and I figured that that happiness lasted forever if you drank once. So I remember keep keep drinking. I I kept drinking. And by the time everybody got home, I guess I was drunk and fell asleep and then waking up the next morning and had a hangover and feeling miserable and thinking it didn't work. Like I'm not happy like, yeah. What's what's going on. And I think that's why I got really active into like extracurricular activities. I think that's when my workaholic side came out. I always wanted to keep busy to not think about things. Oh yeah. But that was the first time I got drunk and but my real, real love with alcohol happened when I was, uh, when I came out. I came out when I was 17. Okay. I was outed. And I was living with my sister. I got pulled out of school, uh, went back to Dallas for a semester. When I went back to Mexico to finish high school, the, as soon as my parents left, my sister and I got into it. And it was like, new rules and you're not doing this and you're not doing that and i I was like you're not my mother and i hate you and so i ended up moving out of my sister's house and moving into a boarding home and i lived there for a semester and i was miserable i was sad and depressed and my parents were in dallas i wasn't talking to my sister there wasn't really a whole lot of family although a lot of family lived in monterey there wasn't a lot of family that were very supportive of me. Yeah. Everybody found out. Um, and here I am in this stranger's family house and with no rules or regulations. So I would go out to the bars and I wanted to. I started really drinking because I went to the gay bars to meet somebody. I wanted to be saved. I, I wanted somebody. Ooh, how dare you, Justin? Um, I was I I was so I was seventeen years old, eighteen years old. 
and I was sad and, and depressed and lonely yeah. and I just wanted somebody to save me from all that and, and guide me and of course being that young it, it, it didn't take long for an older man to just take advantage of the situation and yeah. it was not good but I was already hooked on alcohol and by the time I moved back to Dallas when I was about eight a little over 18 um, bars were a thing I still was looking for somebody to save me from life. I wanted the Pretty Woman story. Yeah. This is before Pretty Woman even came out. But <laughs> I wanted the Pretty Woman life. And then I was 20. I was with my then partner. And he was older than me. And I heard about drugs. And I wanted to try them. And um, true story, we were in the back of my... I had a Mustang... Uh, two-door Mustang GT and I was I was in the back seat with him and a friend and we had gotten coke and Seal had just put out his album it was a cassette of crazy oh man it, it crazy is playing on the CD on the cassette and I'm doing a line of the cassette box I had a love-hate relationship with that song for years because every time I heard it, it reminded me of that first time that I did coke. Yeah, that'll and, do it. And I, 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 not to glamorize this moment, but every everything that is da 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 about coke happened to me in that moment. I felt older. I was bold. I was courageous. Oh yeah. Sexy. I I belonged. I feel like if you're an addict, you're gonna find that groove at some yeah. point. Like you're, and I imagine you, and, you had thoughts and opinions on things you never thought you'd have thoughts and opinions on. I was the smartest, most worldly <laughs> Mexican you ever knew. And uh, I went on a 16 year relationship with drugs. So, so yeah. There's, there's a few things, cause I do wanna make sure like we get to that, that, that when you decide to become sober. Um, but I'm curious growing up as like a gay Mexican in Texas, I mean, I know you said Dallas and Houston and those are some bigger cities, but like when I think of the stereotypes of Texas, do you get through that? Like how, how much of that is true as far as just the, the harassment, the fear, the, you know, um, I was always kind of middle of the road gay. I don't know. For anybody who's gay listening out there, I'm not making fun of it. Yeah, you weren't like running down the street shirtless with a flag. and. Yeah, I, I didn't fart and glitter came out or anything yeah. like that. I wasn't that gay, but I wasn't in the closet either. I was just kind of out there. I mean, I just... I just did my own thing. Like, who you see now has pretty much been the standard throughout my years. Um, I don't think I ever actually got harassed for being gay. And if I did, I don't think I ever really noticed it. I mean, yes, the occasional like, you know, slur that would come out yeah. somewhere. That feels that pretty impressive, though, all things yeah, considered. I, um, like if you were like you were, I was in Austin that entire time, I might say like, well, yeah, sure, Austin. <laughs> uh, yeah, Austin. Uh, but I think in, in Dallas, because Dallas has a pretty good gay neighborhood yeah that it, it, i was always in that realm 
and and Houston, well, in Dallas it's Cedar Springs, in Houston it's Montrose. Uh, there's always this space. Have I gotten harassed? Yes, of course. Have yeah. those people yelled out things? Yes. Had, had I think this has come from being resilient from early age. I don't live in that. Oh, somebody called me. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm also wondering if you have, and this is speculative, so I apologize if it sounds assumptive, but like if you were, were so numb to being hurt at such a young age that like that shit didn't even pierce your armor. Like it, you didn't like, that's why when you think about it now, you're like, I mean, it probably happened, but like. Uh, that that was so minute someone yelling something at you was probably nothing compared to the shit that you had gone through when you were younger yeah when and, and yeah i mean you're right when you have your kids in your neighborhood yelling pushing you around you're yeah. kind of like really what's like i was eight nine ten years old like i'm i'm, I'm older now come on world bring it on yeah um And I come from a family that doesn't believe in victimhood. It, it's never like, so you, so somebody talked, somebody pushed you down, get up. Yeah. Right? And I'm going to, I'm going to say this true um, because I knew that I was gay. I was the double dare kid. I was the challenge me to do something kid because twice working twice as hard to prove my manliness. Yeah. So if somebody in the street yelled, you know, whatever word, I was like, ah, whatever, like, just keep going. Like yeah. it's sticks and stones, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Does that make sense? Does yeah, make no, sense? I, I just, I hope you are able to feel like a victim when you need to now, because that's obviously an important part of, of living is just uh, like, if you are a victim, it's okay to feel like a victim. Um, but I, <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I, I felt that more with my health issues than with my personal life when when things have happened that i have no control over yeah that's when i have my moment of well holy shit like here i am and then but but then again there's like okay garza you, you had five minutes what now like, yeah uh yeah i i mean obviously there's not a lot of use or productivity in wallowing per se, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I, I think it's important to allow ourselves the space to grieve or be sad oh, or definitely. whatever that looks yeah, like. Yeah. Um, but you know, a, a lot of people, myself included, and it sounds like you from what you've told me so far, like you build in protective measures to where you're like, no, <laughs> like <laughs> that's no, uh, we're going to move on. And, uh, do something else. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. And, <laughs> like and, and mind you, I, but yeah. When people are there's there's a whole different Daniel when nobody's looking. Oh yeah. I mean, there's there's the me that is sitting home working, and the TV's on in the background, and something comes on or, or a song plays, and it's that moment where you're like, "Whew, okay, well that's taking me back," and you're like, "Okay, you get you get this." moment you get this commercial you get this song to feel sad so let's work through it because there's work to do yeah i work for myself i'm, I'm self-contract so it's you you have those moments and you got but yeah i know and that's why there's therapy yeah. and 
um, yeah, my therapist, if, if my therapist, if I ever become famous and my therapist want to talk, man, they got stories to tell. So, which I've given them permission as long as they give me a cut. So there you go. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Sell those rights. Um, so let's move to Houston. What's the catalyst for you deciding to get sober? So uh, I'm working at, at this nonprofit and long story short, there were some laptops, there was uh, accusations of theft, there was, uh, no, this is mine. It's like, we're, there's a warrant, we're here for you, you're going to jail. It's like, okay. Uh, that'll do it. <laughs> that'll do it, yeah. Nothing like a good courthouse to make you want to go sober. And so I ended up in court and it, it gets reduced. It was a felon, it gets reduced to misdemeanor. I have nothing on my record. The probation officers are like, hey, we're just going to put you on probation for a couple of months. Once you clear that, you're good to go. But I was already on drugs at that time. And um, of course, I can do everything else but stay off drugs. Looking back, subconsciously, I believe that I, I my spirit was just like, dude, this is our moment to get saved. Yeah. This is the moment. And nobody's going to do it but you. You need to save yourself. But you need, I wasn't willing to tell people that I was on drugs. So I would, for anybody who's listening and knows, I would show up to the U, uh, UAs, the unary assessments. It's the, the P-test. That oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, when you go to probation, I, it would be dirty every time, every time. So bad that I would, I would, I was a crackhead by then. I would hit the pipe because I lost my car already. I would hit the pipe before the taxi picked me up to take me to see my probation officer. That's how messed up I was. But I really, really do believe that that was my just my cries for help. Like, I need help, and somebody, please, just help me. And I went through two probation officers till they put me to the, the main probation officer, the director. And to this name, I, I believe her name, and I have to look up on the records, Lana Park. And Lana Park, which I thought she had the name of a superhero, and she was so cool. She had a raspy voice, and she was like, what the hell is wrong with you? And I was like, I don't know. And she was like, here's the deal. She goes, you, you don't have a record. You're a good guy. She's like, let me ask the judge, because at this point, they were going to send me to jail. So it was either a year in jail or three months in probation and rehab. And I thought about it. I thought about it because yeah. my question to her was like, is this jail like an Oz jail? Cause I'll do that jail. That looks like fun. Um, and she was like, no, it's not like that. And she was like, look, you're in jail, three months rehab. What do you want? I want to, like, can well, we, can we pause and just make sure that listeners get the perspective on that? Like that's an addict's brain right there. Right? Like you can go get sober for three months or you can go to jail for a year yeah. And like, you're not even guaranteed necessarily to find whatever you need to get high in jail. But like, but you're like, maybe jail for a year. Like, that's the yeah, addict brain, man. Bad. Yeah. That's... I mean, I'm young. I'm cute. I can make it. Like, I got things. I can, buy, uh, I can get a pimple up in there. And But yeah, no, literally thought about it. And she was like, do it. Go petition. I had to petition for rehab. So the day that I have to go to court, I show I show up drunk and high. And the probation officer's like, what the hell are you doing? But I think somewhere inside You're I like had a plan. like selling the story. <laughs> totally, man. Let's let's make this what it is. 
And I show up and I'm the first name on the docket and they call my name and I reek and I'm and the judge is like, Mr. Garza, why do should I believe that you need rehab and not jail? And I stood there in front of the court and cried. And I said, if if because I had it was Tuesday, I had till Friday or Thursday to turn myself in. I said, if you let me go home now and I'm supposed to go to jail, I'm not going to make it. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coming back. This is it. I'm, my, I'm, I'm tired of my life. I'm done. But if I walk out of here and there's no way of helping me, then I'm, I'm done. I'm done. And she looked at me and she goes, okay, you're going to rehab. Come back, come back. I think it was Friday. And um, I showed up to the court on Friday morning. Um, I had a party at the bar on Thursday before I left. Of course. I'll, I'll see you guys in three months. I'll be back. <laughs> Save my seat. And off I went for three months to rehab. Uh, not, actually, 92 days, because I was supposed to be out on a Wednesday, and I waited to Friday to leave. And um, best freaking summer of my life. I was 36 years old, became a man. I, I really do believe that that's the year I became a man. I, I, I learned how to save myself. Whew. Um, Imagine you experienced I, specific emotions for like the first time since you were probably like five. Um, <laughs> for anybody that's done the steps, I did that fifth step and I, I, I floated. I was light and I saw a light and I was able to sit with myself and not hate me and and not need and I mean this I didn't need anybody to validate me did it last for a long time no I mean obviously that's where we I kept going to meetings and I had a sponsor for a long time and I started my spiritual journey and a lot of these things that I'm on now 15 years later but um, I was able to uh, be a sponsor for a while for people while I was there. I did 11 fifth step with 11 of my brothers there, which for anybody who's done those totally helped me and release some of my own junk. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to this day, the best summer of my life was the summer of 2007. That's hands awesome. Down. Hands and down. so, well, and I know you have to go soon, and so I want to. I can. I think we might have to do a, a part two, but um, I want to make sure people know what you're up to now because you you have a lot going on. Uh, you yeah. have you have a lot of content out there. So where can where can people find you? And what are you up to other than your seven year memoir project? What's going on? Sure. Yeah. So um, my full resume is I I do I do acting. I'm a stand up comic. Uh, me and my partner produce, direct, and co host. Uh, live stream shows. We have three shows on the air at the moment. Uh, I'm an HIV, anal cancer, and mental health advocate. I'm also a spiritual life coach. Um, I'm a Reiki master. I do card readings. I wrote a children's book over the lockdown because I didn't have anything else to do. Um, but all those you can go. Uh, my my page is Little Mexican Productions Inc. L I L M E S I C A N. Little Mexican Productions Inc. Yeah. Um, Little, that's a whole Little story Mexican. part of the show. <laughs> yeah. uh, you can follow me on uh, Daniel G Garza on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. Uh, I have shows pretty much every week. I have horoscopes that I put out every Monday. Um, 
and then on on the sober page you can i mean sober curator you can yeah. find my horoscopes every monday so yeah those are i cool. love it well yeah i i have a billion more questions but we'll have to do a, a part two because <laughs> uh yeah i'm like curious uh, are is there i guess quick answer is is there anything outside of a relationship that takes you to california or is that just moving there with with a uh, with your partner i think i say that with no judgment i've done that many times yeah no yeah i i, I when people say like what brought you to california a yeah. penis did i, I chased the penis <laughs> and uh can i say that on the, on the show oh yeah um but uh what it's not what brought me to California is what got me out of, out of Texas. What got me out of Texas is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I needed to save myself. And it was the first time ever in my adult life that I did something for me. And it was, I didn't know it at the time, but moving out of, California, out of Texas was to save myself. And I've been, I'm the constant, I'm the one constant in my life is me. Yeah. And I, so I need to take care of myself. That seems like a pretty great spot to <laughs> bid you adieu. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right, you just listened to my interview with Daniel Garza. There's about a billion places I wanted to dig in to what he was talking about there. Um, I knew we were pushed for time, and I feel like, ugh, we're gonna, I have to do like a part two where it's just like, all right, you mentioned this. How did that happen? You mentioned this. What was going on there? You mentioned this. Um, really great talking to him, though. And second to last episode of our dry January. I hope you guys are enjoying these episodes with sober people. Some who uh, that's their entire story. You know, they're sober and that's what they do and that's who they are. And some people it's just a happenstance. They don't, they don't drink, you know? So either way, I hope you get something from it. And I'm so glad you guys are here with me and I will talk to you next week. Okay. I love you. Bye-bye.